and welcome to the Big Web Show, everything web that matters. I'm your host, Jeffrey Zellman, and with me today is Scott Jell of the Filament Group. He is a web designer and developer who works with the bright folks at Filament Group, creating websites and applications for a broad range of clients, including the 2012 Responsive Design of the Boston Globe. He's a huge contributor to the open source community, frequently releasing ideas and projects on GitHub. A jQuery team member, uh, most recently leading the development of jQuery Mobile. And the co-author of Designing with Progressive Enhancement, New Riders. And we're here to talk about PictureFill, a responsive images polyfill approach that web designers and developers can use today. Hey, Scott. Hey, Jeffrey. How's Thanks. it going? Great. Thanks for joining us. You're in... Thanks uh, for having Are you in Cambridge? Uh, well, I used to be. I'm in Florida these days. Florida. So you work remotely. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I dial in remotely with, with the folks in Boston. Actually, quite a few of us at Filament are remote now. That's a very huge change. It was, yeah. It, uh, it started with, um, I, I actually took a kind of a trip for eight months or so abroad in Asia. And that was sort of our first foray into having one employee that was remote. And, uh, you know, it took some getting used to, what was, um, what especially was, with that time change. What was <clears throat> remote working from Asia like in terms of bandwidth, network reliability, that kind of thing? Man, it, it sure reminded me that, uh, that you know, the, the web is not the same web for everyone. <laughs> it was, it was uh, you know, pretty frustrating at times. Uh, and sometimes it was a lot, frankly, a lot better, a lot faster than we have here. So it really varied, you know, in the cities. It, was, it tended to be a little, um, a little ahead of the times uh, compared to here in the States. So what do you, what do you mean? Uh, you know, just, just you know, speeds connecting to uh, the cell networks and, um, and on Wi-Fi networks. Everything just seemed to be, I don't know, maybe newer, more modern. I don't know if we're running on older wires here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in places, I remember in Turkey, uh, mm -hmm. I went there in 1999, and everyone had what they called a handy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which was a mobile phone with some internet features. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1999, when I didn't know anybody in America that did. I mean, except, yeah, you know, like in the early days for that stuff. But they didn't have lots of landlines. Countries where they where they didn't do a lot of 20th century technological infrastructure tended to have more 21st century technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. this is why like there's, there's villages, right? Where they have a wireless network, but no flush toilets. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Certainly an interesting situation. So, yeah, so it taught me a lot for sure. I mean, it, you know, it's. I think it's good to get out of the comfort zone now and then, and, and realize that uh, we're building for a lot broader audience than just people like us. You know. Well, does picture fill, and does the picture element, and the whole notion of responsive images, it seems like a double-edged sword as far as that goes. In that, you know, if if you can look for screen size and serve people smaller images that are appropriate to their screen conserving mm -hmm. their bandwidth that way. But isn't the picture element and picture fill and responsive images also about uh, sending retina images when appropriate and things like that? Right. right. So, right. so that makes it tricky. You may be um, sending a 10 megabyte 
image. Yeah, you could be. <laughs> and that's, uh, I think that's, you know, the, the real value in a native implementation, which, you know, is, is on the way um, in Chrome and really every major browser is working on it now. Pretty exciting. Um, Just so, yeah, right, it's in, it's uh, right now there's a picture element being supported in Chrome, Opera, because it's really the same, and uh, Firefox. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if any of them have landed it in their stable version yet, no. but they're all right. They're all underway. But um, have we heard anything from IE or Safari? I think that I, I may be a few days behind on this, but the last I heard about uh, the IE team, they, they have this status page that they post all of their feature statuses and, and where they are on implementation and picture is listed on there. So that was kind of a major step, I think, for for seeing that it's actually on their radar. And it was pretty high up in the list, too. So that was nice to see. Status.modern.ie? Yeah, I think that's it. Right. Um, but I, uh, beyond that, I haven't, I haven't seen any word, you know, official word from the development team on, on what they're doing with it. Um, and Apple never yeah. tells anybody anything. Right. But uh, a WebKit implementation is underway. Um, actually, right. the same... Yeah, the same person who's uh, who did a little crowd crowdfunding campaign to get the Blink or Chrome implementation going uh, just just hit like a, a secondary goal, uh, fifteen thousand to fund um, the WebKit version too. So I'm sorry, an individual did crowdfunding right. to get money for Chrome, a Google product. To support picture a web standard. I just want to make sure that I understood what you said. An, a private individual raised money from other private individuals to get a pittance, $10,000 a pittance in Google's terms, so that Google would consider implementing a W3C standard, the picture element. Yeah, well... Is that how we're going to so do web standards now? We, we like... It's certainly a... I we, think it's a first, right? Um, I mean, in a way... Like, God bless that hero, and in another way, wow, really? We, that's what it takes? Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, actually, Google contributed a little money, too, just as much as, you know, a lot of other orgs They contributed did, money to their own salaries. Really? <laughs> that's just so nice of them. Yeah. That's but I think there's, there's an upside here, too, because uh, the, the person who's doing the implementation, Yoav Weiss, uh, I, I think I pronounced his name right, and maybe Yoav, I'm not sure. Um, He's kind of been uh, heading the whole uh, responsive images community group along with Matt uh, Marquis over at Filament Group. Right. And so we have someone who's, you know, who's deeply, uh, you know, informed on the spec and actually working on the spec actively, um, you know, working on the implementation too, which is nice because uh, all the people in this community who are, who are working on this project actually, you know, have direct input to the person who's implementing it. Whereas maybe it would be a little, you know, harder to reach the people who are building it. So, I mean, uh, you know, upsides and downsides. I think that is a common uh, uh, question, though. You know, why couldn't Google just, you know, build this themselves? But I think this also puts it high on the priority list, whereas it may have been a little lower for Google with all the other things they're working on. True, but and then Opera is sort of going to get it because they're still in the same fork as yep. as yeah. Chrome. Yeah, that's my understanding. Uh, as soon as it's built for Blink, it's built for Opera and Chrome. And 
And Firefox is just they didn't they didn't do a Kickstarter for Firefox. Uh, as far as I know, they were planning on um, doing it building, anyway. Yeah, on their own roadmap. So because yeah. they like it because it's a non patent encumbered open standard. Right. Yeah, I think you know this is something we've all needed for quite a while, especially users need it. So um, talk about. Uh, Talk for people who are unfamiliar with, I mean, there's lots of great articles about the picture element and they will all be on our show page, folks. Uh, I've taken the liberty of, of creating a, but you know, finding, sorry, finding uh, articles by you and Matt Marquis and Ethan Marcotte and Dave Rupert and just lots of st background stuff about what all this is. But I've That's actually great. seen you give a great presentation about, Designing responsibly and responsively, and uh, and I know you're uh, working on writing about that. I believe, yeah, uh, yeah, without Absolutely. getting into details. And uh, how does where does picture fill? Obviously, we hope to just have picture element one day. So, picture fill mm -hmm. for people who aren't familiar. Okay, let's back up. When there's a standard or a potential standard, and browsers don't support it yet, picture uh, then a polyfill is a way of using JavaScript to emulate that to emulate yeah. support for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's sort of two different levels here, right? There's there's a shim and a polyfill. I've never understood the difference. Okay, yeah, well. I mean, I, they're both kind of just casual terms anyway. I don't know if they're <laughs> properly defined, but uh, to me anyway, a shim is something that uh, is sort of a quick and dirty workaround that happens to enable a feature. Like a good example would be uh, the HTML5 shiv or shim, which just happens to make IE support uh, styling of, of new HTML elements just by running this little JavaScript line called create element. So um, it was sort of, it was discovered accidentally, you know, um, and you don't really have to do anything to uh, beyond that to uh, to make the feature work. It's just sort of, you know, this one-liner that you can do to all these new elements. Whereas a polyfill is a uh, much fuller uh, implementation. You're, you're trying to reproduce a whole uh, API in JavaScript and in, in the DOM and HTML. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a lot of code <laughs> compared to a shim. That makes perfect uh, sense. And even the okay. words, actually, now, now that you've said that, it makes sense. Shim. Almost like when the table's uneven, so the waiter puts a sugar exactly. packet under yeah. the table, just a little, right. a little nut. Right. Like this line of code may help, as opposed right. to here's an API. So, yeah. how do you, uh, how do you think about uh, how does picture element help you design res uh, responsibly? Okay, um, yeah. So we have this this problem right now where we're trying to support a wide array of screen sizes with a single adapting design, right? A responsive layout. And usually the images that we drop into those, uh, if they need to work at all breakpoints, then we have to go with the largest size and shrink it down. Um, uh, let the browser scale it down uh, when it's, when it's shown on a smaller screen. And that means for, you know, that makes for a lot of overhead. So, you're sending potentially very large images uh, over the network and only using uh, a fraction of the the kilobyte size that that you actually sent. So in um, the in the past, 
right? Mm-hmm. If this wasn't in a, if this wasn't in HTML, uh, and you wanted to, in the past, you might have done uh, window detection, and then mm-hmm. served one of us. You know, you would have done it all on the server side, and maybe just use JavaScript for sniffing. But yeah. this all moves every. This is not a REST treatment, or is it? This is this moves everything into JavaScript, correct? Right, and eventually it'll need no JavaScript at all. Right, right? it'll just be the picture element which says, in this, you know, if this, if this configuration right. serve this image, if that configuration serve that image. Yeah. Uh, how about with art direction? Aren't there art direction app, art directional applications for this as well? Yeah. So um, I guess just to to kind of back up and give an explanation of uh, the difference. So we have kind of two aspects to the picture element that are coming in. There's the element itself, picture, which is a wrapper for an image now. So it, it used to be sort of this, this media component of its own. Um, but recent changes in the spec have made it so that the picture element is just sort of a, a container for an image tag. Uh, and it it acts as a controller for the eventual source that'll be assigned to that image. So you you kind of give all these uh, source elements in that picture tag followed by an image, and all of those sources are used to evaluate what's the best uh, what the best possible source is to add, to set on that image in the end. So um, this is different than uh, the first iterations of when we were trying to figure out what the picture element should work like. When it was uh, more like a video element. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, the image, if there was one inside it, was just a fallback, right? But now it's actually the, the, the element that displays the, the visuals. So picture is just used to sort of, you know, act as a controller. Um, so that makes a, a lot more sense. From- so, yeah, well, it made it easier for them to implement. I think now, is the big thing. In terms of progressive enhancement, what happens if someone, if their browser doesn't understand HTML5 in the case of the actual picture element, or in the case of this polyfill, they're, for whatever reason, they don't have JavaScript at this moment, or there's no JavaScript in their device, they're on some crappy kiosk at an airport or something. What will they see instead? Is there like a, okay. a default small image? Yeah, so interesting uh, problem there. <laughs> so uh, the image, uh, so images in the page, along with the, this new um, picture uh, element, uh, images themselves, image tags, have new attributes that we can use. And you may or may not need the picture tag at all. Um, if you're not art directing, then all you need is a couple attributes on the image tag. And these are sizes and source set. So uh, those attributes, well, source set is already supported in a couple of browsers like Chrome. And source set basically lets you uh, list potential source URLs for the image along with uh, either widths of the image um, or uh, 1x, 2x, 3x kind of uh, distinctions for basically how high resolution the image is. Right? So that really handles the uh, the SD HD screen problem uh, very well, right? So that source set attribute is already supported in some places. You can also use source set on the image that's inside a picture tag, and that's where things get sort of tricky because when we're polyfilling the picture tag right now, we're working against browsers that 
understand source set in some cases on that inner image, but they don't understand the wrapper picture tag. Uh, and we want to be able to use the picture tag. So the problem is uh, when Chrome encounters this, this uh, picture element with an image in it, it's just going to go out and fetch whatever source it finds on that image tag as soon as it can. And that's actually before we can get to it with JavaScript. So that's a real problem. There's a temporary uh, overhead that we're going to have to endure between uh, now and whenever picture is natively supported in these browsers. But it's kind of like a, it's a small problem just for a couple browsers like Chrome on the desktop. Um, you, you, anyway. it's, it's the original picture, poly picture fill was lower in bandwidth, correct? Yeah, yeah. So um, why, why is it worth, what, what's the trade-off? What's going on there? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> it, I'm sorry that this, <laughs> you jump around so much with this story. It, it, it's, uh, it's, I'm sorry. Should I, coming. should we, should we tell it a different way? Am I, no, am no, I, no, am I, I, I jerking just, you? In, uh, no, no, no. If uh, I'm, if I'm jerking you, you around. Me. <laughs> what? <laughs> I meant you as in uh, the, uh, the royal we. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we jump around a lot talking about this, but, uh, to, tr to sort of ease in into it a little more, picture fill has been around a long time, long before uh, the picture element spec was even close to being finalized. So at that time, picture fill didn't try to mimic a new element picture. It just used span elements and attributes, data attributes, to sort of mimic the behavior. And the way it did that was all these spans followed by a no script tag uh, with an image in it. And that was sort of like the the no JavaScript fallback, right? Wow. Like an old school no script. Wow. Now, right? so now you're talking my language. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's, now you just need low source and uh, exactly. we'd, re we'd yeah. really be back in the 90s. Okay. Right. And then if JavaScript was present, uh, it would actually generate an image and assign it a source based on all the information it found in those spans. So it's it, it largely mimicked where we are today with this native element, but it did so using uh, you know elements that were already standard and not likely to become native one day and be implemented differently than we expected and break everything. Right. So it was sort of a, a unfortunate but uh, responsible way to approach it until we had a, a spec to work against. So recently, that spec. Uh, was sort of finalized and browsers began implementing the, the real element. And that's when we decided, okay, it's time to make the polyfill work on the real element itself because it's, it's on track to become native. So that's where this, uh, this new problem comes in. We can no longer use the no script fallback because uh, browsers that support picture one day and have JavaScript disabled will show two images. They'll show the picture tag image and the, the no script fallback, right? Oh. Which is, right, so <laughs> that's awful. So anyway, the trade-off we, we came to is we're just going to, uh, in those cases, fall back to alt text, which is unfortunate. You know, it, it's, I'm not really sure there's a better way, but I also don't like where it is, so. Um, yeah, so temporarily in... There'll be uh, no image temporarily. Yeah, there'll be alt text, right? So, and there's really no Which, way we can think of to come up with a fallback. But you know what? For 20 years, we've been saying alt text was okay for people who couldn't see images. So 
it's you know right in this weird case (laughs) where you have a very modern capable browser but you've turned javascript off which is like what is that less than one tenth of one percent less than one hundredth of one percent that's still hundreds of thousands of people Mm -hmm. uh but so they'll they'll get some text they'll get a caption instead of an image it's not a terrible experience right people have uh, worse web experiences and it's temporary yeah yeah it is temporary uh, it'll go away once it's natively supported so yeah if, if javascript's disabled in an existing browser today or uh if it's enabled but it somehow fails and we're unable to polyfill the element like if the javascript say, doesn't load <laughs> now you say we who is we there's you and there's uh uh, we, uh not on the a polyfill end of things on on the pic on the picture yeah the pic on the picture fill there was uh, another guy who's on GitHub, but doesn't work with you folks, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Sean Jensapar. Yeah. Uh, Is that right? That's how you say that? I think so. I'm, I'm reading it uh, phonetically here. Jensapar. <laughs> yeah. He's been enormously helpful. He actually kind of kicked off this, um, this new version. Jensapar uh, on GitHub.com. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he started you, the version too. Do you guys, so, and he is in Vancouver and you're in Florida. Yeah, I think so. He's at Mobify, I believe. So, oh, he works at Mobify. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Okay. And they've, uh, obviously changed their business model a lot since responsive came along. Yeah, I think they have. Yeah. So how does this work? You and Sean get on Skype or FaceTime or something or Google hangout, whatever, talk about it and then one of you says i'll code this or how do you divide up the who who, (laughs) the idea making the labor do you code in parallel and then look at each other and i mean how does this work yeah so this one was kind of interesting um internally matt and i were talking about uh making this new version matt marquis matt marquis depending on which side of the Charles river <laughs> right. something crazy like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So we were talking about, you know, it's the time has come to start working on this, this new version. And right around that time, Sean uh, on GitHub sent what's called a pull request. Uh, which basically he had, he had written this new version and just sent it over, uh, sent a version of his, you know, his, his code over and said, check this out. This is a, you know, a starting point for the, for the new polyfill. So that was really helpful. Um, and that's, that was the first time, uh, we really worked with Sean. He just gave us functional code to work with. So we reviewed that and, you know, it was a really good starting point. Um, it wasn't complete. So we had a, you know, a few, probably like three or four weeks of, of work after that in which Sean was, was, uh, collaborating with us and, and Matt and also John Bender who, um, who works at Filament as well. How um, many of you are there now? There are eight of us full-time. All front-end and back-end developers? Uh, yep. Uh, well, and design. But everyone yeah, who designs is also a developer? Um, we all tend to wear many hats. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. But um, I think, you know, we're all specialized in our own areas, too. So, nope. um you have uh so you worked on jQuery and jQuery mobile and now mm-hmm. you're working on this uh yeah. and Matt 
obviously was running the risk the responsive images consortium community group group for the w3c and how do you guys uh you folks um balance you seem to do a tremendous amount of community projects and open source projects but you're a small company and we appreciate it but you're a small company that also needs to pay the bills and do client work because after Mm -hmm. all this is in the final analysis this is all about client work, right? Yeah. Being mm-hmm. better at client work. So how does how do you and how does the filament group balance company projects versus excuse me, the more open source community type projects? Yeah, good question. Um is it like an eighty twenty thing? Do you I mean Yeah, I think I think it is. Um for purely, you know, kind of R and D kind of work. Uh or, you know, picture fill, something like that is just purely unrelated to our client work. And uh, Patty and Todd at Filament are just sponsoring our time to get it done. So in that way, it's it's the 80-20 thing. Yeah. Um, but a, a lot of our open source work uh, is stuff that we're building for client projects that a client has agreed uh, would be, you know, it would be beneficial to have this as an open source component. Um, and it's really interesting how, how it works. It, has a client ever said, you can do this, but it has to be called Boston Globe Picture Fill or something like <laughs> You know what I mean? Have you I ever had a client really run into that yet. Credit? Yeah, I don't know. Have you ever had a client say, you know what? I'm paying you. It's work for hire, and I own it, so you can't. Sure. And plenty of the work we do is is not open sourced. You know, it's strictly just, just for their site. But I think... Uh, We've been, I guess, successful in demonstrating to them the benefits of open sourcing code as we work. Because as soon as we put something out there, uh, others in the community are, are forking it. They're contributing bug fixes. They're finding that it's broken in some version of Android and, and sending us a fix. And this all gets rolled back into this client work, and it costs them nothing. So, uh, I mean, I, you know, I think the benefits there are... are have been very clear to, to our to our clients. So, I mean, that's that's been that's been really great because that was sort of like a, a a theory that we had before we tried it that it would really help uh, help our client projects and and it worked out. So, there was always that worry before we tried it of you know uh, ownership, um, you know who owns the code, all that kind of stuff, and you know, licensing and, and being very clear up front of why it benefits them to open source parts of their code and, and why it makes sense, obviously, to, to close down the parts that are uh, specific to their business. You know, there's there's always that divide. Sure. What about uh, working with other organizations like Google, right? I know you do a lot of stuff, either working with stuff Paul Irish has created or collaborating with him or mm-hmm. with members of his team. Is it weird or cool to be a design studio working for private clients that also works with these big, powerful browser companies that are the developer relations parts of them? Hmm. Yeah, I guess it was um, the the picture spec got us into a whole different level of uh, you know of, of development than uh, than we had been involved with before, you know, even had been comfortable with, uh, with, you know, 
dealing with before. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, being able to talk uh, one-on-one with browser developers and, and actually affect features that are going into browsers was a huge step for us. Um, so yeah, that was really intimidating, I think, <laughs> at first. Um, but you know, working on the picture element definitely exposed us to a, uh, a different side of, uh, of, of the, the web development um, community than we had dealt with in the past. And I think at first it was pretty intimidating, uh, but, you know, very exciting. And I think that this has been a, a good example of, uh, I think, how much power web developers and authors now have. Um, you know, it's a smaller world, I guess, dealing with browser vendors. Um, it seems like the people working at the browsers are more often actually web developers themselves and understand the challenges that we face. And, you know, it seems like the priorities are lining up more often than not. So that's it was, it was very, exciting. it was very different when I was doing this. It yeah. Was I very can imagine. different. It was a completely secret world. You couldn't mm-hmm. talk to anybody. Um, Opera was nice. They were always pro web standards. Right. <laughs> um, and we could talk to Hokum, which is amazing, but it didn't necessarily mean you had much say over features. IE was closed mm-hmm. uh, to us for a while, uh, a long while, really. Um, yeah. The Mozilla IE project was open. IE still kind of closed. Yeah, I mean, it, it well, Microsoft and Apple. Yeah. Microsoft and Apple just, it's a different. It's not because of browsers or that they have some weird attitude toward the web. It's just that's the nature of those companies. They're software, giant software companies. Yeah. And but I think, you know, the, the example we talked about earlier with the status page, I mean, there, there are signs heading in the right direction at, at IE. It's weird. I remember when, um, when Apple dropped IE5 Mac, right, when they mm-hmm. and, and came up with a browser – and and they went to uh, what was Chrome called before it was called Chrome when when they went to WebKit Sorry. originally right well when they went to WebKit originally it was like wow because at the time WebKit wasn't all that compliant and everyone thought it'll be a Firefox thing Every, they'll right. they'll get Mozilla and put it in the Mac and you know and we'll be done they didn't right. do that and everyone was shocked uh, and I thought oh they're making some terrible mistake but of course they weren't mm-hmm. uh, it's just there was a period where WebKit was really open where Apple, they had Dave. Um, wow. What was his name? But the, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, brilliant browser developer. And he was blogging. He was mm-hmm. an Apple employee blogging openly about fixing this bug. Well, we're de- You know, we've got uh, the acid two test looking really good. We still have a problem with this stuff. You would never see from Apple corporation. And it seemed like, right. and this was before the iPhone. It seemed like, Apple was becoming very open, but uh, that gentleman no longer blogs and all that. That's all been swept away. Yeah. I'm trying to remember Dave, Dave Hyatt. Dave Hyatt. Yeah. What was the name of his blog? Uh, Surf and Safari. Oh my God. You are so right. (laughs) Dave Hyatt, Surf and Safari. Let's see if. Well, Surf and Safari is still an active blog, I believe. Is it? Oh, it's the WebKit blog now. You are right. Yeah, but yeah, that'd be a good trivia question. But it's now, uh, it seems like it's more of uh, an informational 
it, right. it's, it's not as open and here's what we're doing. It's more talking about the internet. It's kind of like a Mozilla developer blog or like a Google page, like, like the thing right. Google released the other day, the, uh, to sort of bring developers up to speed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems that, uh, yeah, they're just kind of blogging new features as they land or, you know, so some feature doesn't need a prefix anymore. <laughs> that sort of thing, which, you know, that's useful too. The prefix wars. How will we ever yeah. tell the kids about the prefix wars? Uh, they will need to. The pre- <laughs> they will never understand it. No. Yeah, that was good riddance. So I think what you said <laughs> basically is uh, about balancing uh, is it's 80-20. Are there some of your people who are do more like you and Matt who are more do more work in the public sphere and others who are sort of less public and just like hunker down and get the projects done for the client or am I? Yeah, I think so. But it tends to vary depending on interest, really. I mean, none of our, uh, none of our job title or descriptions necessarily say that we can or can't work on open source versus client work. It's just sort of, I think it's just based on what we're interested in working on. So pretty fortunate in that regard. Do you find yourself getting really big projects now? Yeah, I think ever since the Boston Globe project, uh, the the client scene has changed a little bit. And it's been interesting. It, yeah, we've had some really, I mean, Lego was our, I think, our biggest client. Um, we just... Uh, we just finished the, the mobile version of the shop.lego.com. Um, wow. And it's responsive. It, it works. What do you mean device. by the mobile yeah. version that's res- and it's responsive? Don't those? Yeah. So, that's uh, a little so we built, <laughs> right. So we built a responsive site that uh, was mobile first and was optimized layout wise up until about a tablet width. And then it just sort of maxes out, right? Um, and the idea was that this would be a good starting point for them to uh, to venture into a responsive layout. So they're serving this. They have been serving this responsive site uh, specifically to phones and tablets. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. let let's say that it's uh, below a certain below a certain breakpoint. Yeah. They switch you over to mobile, and then there are these variously fl- this fluid responsive layout that adapts well yeah. to any. Right. And okay. it works on any, I mean, we tested it. But on the it desktop, everywhere. but just on my 27-inch monitor, that might be, ser- I might be served a different site yeah. for now. Right, right, for now, yeah. And, you know, I think that's that's a pretty that's nice That's a reasonable way to get into it. Yeah, How especially did- with a company like that where I mean, changing the Lego shop where they make all of their sales is an enormously risky, uh, you know, decision to make. So being able to to do a tiered sort of launch like that is, I think it's really smart. So if I go to sh- to Lego, I, I mean, I'm taking a shop.lego.com. What do I want? Yeah. M.lego.com instead or something? It's it's actually just negotiated on the server. So if you hit it on your iPhone, you would get the version that we built. Um, or if in Chrome, if you wanted to change your user agent string to iPhone, you could get it that way too. But, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they're, you know, they're doing the, the, the old uh, user agent detection, either serve it to a phone or don't kind of approach for now. So, yeah. Yeah. You keep saying for now. I think we all know because <laughs> they're like, this is like, 
Yeah, they're they're eating non-kosher meat for now. They're going to be eating kosher meat soon, but right now it's not kosher. But you know, they're starting yeah. to wear the yarmulke. They're transitioning. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. They're not really. Yeah, they're yeah. No. Yeah, that's fine. Because the yeah. it's such a non-responsive, obviously non-responsive site. Otherwise, Lego friends. That's the one girl thing they made. Like the sir. You don't have kids. You do have kids. You have a no, baby. I do. No, I have a daughter. Yeah. You have a baby daughter. Mm-hmm. She's like two now, three. Actually, very young, like uh, almost eight months. Okay, good. Time isn't rushing by <laughs> as quickly as I thought. Eight months no. sounds great. So when <laughs> yeah. she gets into Legos, what she will find if they don't change is that there's like a whole TV action series around ninjas that's all boys with like one ninja girl Mm, or there's lego friends the show they made for girls of which there is one episode and the Mm. lego friends are like petting birds and dogs and holding baby deer and you know they they all learn to pitch in you know at first they're jealous of how cute each other are and they're insecure, but they learn to pitch in and work as a team to put on a show to raise money for puppies in a charity. Right. As opposed to the thousands of hours of boy entertainment that Lego has created. Right, right. Yeah, that is, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. There was a good, yeah. There was a classic Lego ad that was, um, I, I retweeted it. Like oh, a I saw that. Ago. Yeah. yeah. How we used how they to sell used to, the girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would be nice but, to see that come back. I don't know. We just uh, we have a huge box of Legos that you know you just build it yourself. And I, no, once I, she gets old enough that she's not going to choke on them, yeah. <laughs> then but they're every, all hers. <laughs> everybody loves Legos. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a holdover, and they're not American. Where are they? Are they in Scandinavia? Uh, yeah, Finland, I believe. Finland is the headquarters. It in Connecticut be, in the U.S. I, I think there's more. Uh, it's possible that there's more legal equality between the sexes in Finland and has been for a long time. Women have more rights, but that they're more traditional in gender roles mm. than we are so that you could have a society that was not sexist in one way and then right. kind of sexist the other way. And that's right. how you would get right. So that's a, you know, that's yeah. how you would get something. Unfortunately, like it seems like they just sort of followed the same marketing angle that a lot of U S companies did. I'm sure it worked yeah. well for them. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully that hopefully we'll see a change there. But all the kids are going to Minecraft now. They got to get in there. Right. They, they've got to right. like make Lego skins for Minecraft or something if they're not already, which they probably are. Because uh, yeah, they probably. You know, it sounds familiar. I loved when my daughter <clears throat> was into Legos, but I love Minecraft because I don't step on digital images (laughs) at two in the morning walking in the dark walking in the dark it's much better i just never step on it yeah so that's what i have to look forward to nice you do it's gonna be it's gonna be super cool what's her name emory emory Mm -hmm. she don't take this the wrong way but you're a very handsome fellow your wife is gorgeous she must be a very beautiful child she's uh well thank you but yeah she's uh she's a cutie yeah. <laughs> oh God, I just realized what if she wasn't? What if there was some strange tragedy and she was just <laughs> never mind. Uh, she's very cute. My mind has been <laughs> in dark places lately. Um oh. <clears throat> anyway. Okay. Uh what are you writing these days? 
Yeah. So um, the uh, the book that I'm writing for a book apart, responsible responsive design. We haven't. Is, we haven't really. Have we announced that yet? Oh yeah, it's all over the website. Oh okay. Then cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. In that case. Yeah. Pl- please um, continue, sir. Yeah, it's it, you know it's still it's in the late stages of writing at this point. It's I'm feeling great about it, and uh, it's just I think it's going into kind of final manuscript edits and copy edit stages, and it's pretty awesome. I'm I think totally psyched. I think all responsive design wants to be responsive, responsible. Sorry, and but uh, putting that specific focus on it is great. Uh, I uh, tell folks basically what they can expect to see or, or what you mean by it. So what kinds of issues you're tackling? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Ethan's book responsive design um, addressed all, I mean, it it basically solved the problem of adapting layouts across screen sizes. Right. Um, And this book sort of steps in to say, now that we have that, we need to combine it with other, uh, best practices to to fully deliver on a responsible approach. So um, a lot of that has to do with performance, uh, usability across different devices that have different input modes. You know, touch, mouse, uh, all, you know, different sensors, things like that. So all these new factors we need to care about, um, and then it factors in accessibility as well. So being able to use these sites. Uh, in a non-visual manner. Um, so all of these different angles are sort of coming in uh, to, to combine with um, the responsive uh, approach to layout. Um, yeah, and there's a pretty heavy um, focus on performance as well. The last two chapters out of six, I think, are just focused on delivering uh, responsibly. So over the network kind of concerns. Why do you think as an industry we tend to overlook performance and bandwidth. We tend to reward sites and applaud and give awards to work that's got like 10 megabytes of images or, you know what I mean? That, yeah. that all you have to be is at a, at a, at a hotel mm-hmm. using wi- Wi-Fi at a hotel or and realize, <laughs> uh, yeah. And realize, wow, this site, I really loved this site in my office, but man, I do not like this site at all on this bus. Yeah. Why, do you, why do you think we ignore all that so much? I, I just, I think it's, uh, you know, we're, we're as web designers, I think we're kind of an exceptional bunch. You know, we need, uh, our, our work requires that we have access to the fast connections and the, the fastest and newest devices. And I think it's very easy to uh, design for ourselves a little too much. Um, and, and sort of forget that there's a much broader variable audience out there that, you know, that that's really our audience that we're, we're building for. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess that's my answer because I, I, it happens to me all the time, too. I'll open up some, you know, gorgeous, uh, uh, heavily photographic layout on my big screen and, and not really realize that that same code is going to get shipped to an iPhone over a 3G connection. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, even yeah. it, you may notice it at home when Comcast or Time Warner Cable or whoever is suddenly having a, a minor problem. Oh, and yeah. just You get Absolutely. like latency is a huge thing, right? Just, yep. you know, you might have 100 megabits down, 
mm-hmm. but a latency of of a second or it seems yeah. like and, and so you know when right. you finally get stuff it's great but right yeah and it's i think it's not only about speed too because now that we're seeing data plans that are uh you know they seem to be more and more limited every month uh and more expensive and shared across devices like it's very common to have these uh, this you know you buy like a bucket of data that you can use off, across all your devices uh, on a cell network at the and same time you're using streaming media all the time right people are doing that yeah. instead of cable and it's the cable company that's providing the bandwidth so mm-hmm. yeah you think they so, would just yeah. charge a premium for bandwidth and be done with it be happy sure wish yeah <laughs> but um yeah I mean to circle back I think uh, you know that's that's sort of the angle we've been taking with you know, picture fill, things like that is the more uh, we move these things natively into the browser, the more we can let the browser say uh, to make the final call, which is really interesting because we can say, here are a bunch of potential image sources. Uh, some of them are you know, more high quality than others and they might apply to this device, but say uh, the device knows better and the connection speed is slow or that particular user's data plan is close to empty, they could say, you know what, I'm just going to load the crappy image and, you know, uh, allow the, the user to, to choose if they want to upgrade it or not and their preferences or something like that. So I think that's, you know, that's a really neat aspect of getting these things built into the browser and offloading it to, to the browser that knows more than we do as authors. So the way we used to offload fonts to the browser or to the mm-hmm. operating system and not worry about how, you know yeah. how many <laughs> how many weights of geneva or georgia or whatever we were using right right yeah. do you, do, you, do you think we'll ever have a good proxy for touch do you think we'll ever be able to tell if a device supports touch or not cuz right now there's nothing reliable screen size is kind of the best we have and that's not reliable yeah, well, I mean, yeah, screen size is not a good because uh, of to all those Microsoft laptops that have touch screens. Sure, every and the Chromebook. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the Chromebook has touch. I mean, touch is not the domain of uh, of small screens anymore. Um, not the exclusive it, domain. If it right, if it ever was, but also when uh, when touch is supported, it's often one of many input devices that are available to the user. You know, sometimes there's a keyboard. Often there's uh, mouse events that are fired as well. Uh, even you know when you touch the screen on your iPhone, touch events and mouse events are fired. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say my answer is we absolutely use touch events. We we design as if they're going to be there and make sure it works. If they're not, if they're not, yeah. Um, but, but if they are there, we can make things a little faster. Especially uh, if you're doing a, a somewhat complex responsive design where you want to bring things off-screen elements in mm-hmm. and use touch, or you want to have, do you know what I mean? You like, well, if there's hover, then I'll use hover to do that. But if there's, you know, if there's, right, right. I and, think one of the uh, biggest challenges that responsive isn't just about screen size, mm-hmm. especially. Right. That input mechanisms and it's everything. Right? It's yeah. everything. Yeah, and I mean, it, you know, on the detection side of things, we do we do have some features coming to CSS uh, in the the media queries level four spec that'll 
start to address these things like um, uh, the ability to detect, to detect uh, pointer um, size, I guess. So you could say um, how finite is the, the pointing mechanism on the device? Is it a mouse? Is it touch? Um, you a can tiny also baby hover. finger. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, so those things are coming, but you know, we would only be able to use those in very cutting edge environments anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the answer there is design as if, uh, touch is going to be there and if it's not, make sure it still works. Are you doing any design between devices? Between devices. So one device controlling another. Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, I'll be honest, I haven't really done a whole lot of work in that area, but I, I think it's interesting. I know uh, Josh Clark, uh, Dan Mall, Brad mm-hmm. Frost, uh, starting to do stuff with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, the only thing I can really think of is uh, when we, we built a, a slide deck in HTML. Um, and set it up so the style sheet could work with a projector, you know, just media type projection. Oh, nice. And, and uh, use the iPhone to control the screen like a remote. But, I mean, that's, that's pretty lo-fi, I guess. How <laughs> do you worry that you will cease to be a cutting-edge technologist in the next five or ten years that you'll move into more... That other people are coming up right behind you, who are going to kick your ass the way you've kicked ass. You know, sorry, you dropped just a little. Oh, bit. okay. So I, I got. Do you worry? <laughs> well, one of the things that happens when someone's really great at design or technology is they get to a certain level of acclaim, and then somebody come coming along into the career that's new just blows them out of the water, kicks their ass, and they, uh, do you worry about that? Do you worry about not wanting to keep up with the technology 10 years from now? I don't know. Hasn't entered your mind. Has not entered your mind. I don't want to sound like a hippie, but (laughs) I feel like, uh, you know, the, the collaborative aspects of, you know, working on GitHub and things like that, uh, it, it seems like everything is very transparent and uh, we're, we're all kind of working together on, you know, whatever's coming. Great answer. Fair enough. Thank you for your time today. It's been really yeah, nice. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. So uh, people can find you at scottgel.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you I are on Twitter. Yeah. You're Scott, Scott gel on GitHub, Scott gel on Twitter pretty much everything yeah i don't i don't think there's another one of those in in the world it's a weird name so i'm lucky in that regard you're luckier than tim brown <laughs> for instance <laughs> yeah. yeah okay cool have a great All day right. thanks yeah you too jeffrey thank Bye-bye. you Bye.